chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we are doing the series on... Can anybody actually remember? What is the series that we are doing together? Romans. Romans, yes. Romans chapter 12. But we are talking about what Christian life is really all about. Because chapter 12 starts with, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, based on, the, based on the mercies of God, based on the gospel, based on what God has done for us, this is how God wants us to live. So, probably some of you were not there in the first sermon that I did on this part, but, but uh, if you remember a movie called Men in Black, they had this little device that, uh, that, that, that the agents would call everybody to look into, and when you flashed it into somebody's eyes, what would happen? Their memories, to some degrees, will be erased, and the people will start wondering, oh, what's going on? How did I get here? Where am I? Who am I? And where are these people? What am I supposed to do? And the same happens with really with a believer. The moment you are saved, you've received a new life. You receive a new identity. You've been snatched from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into Christ. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. And now you wake up in this new identity. So this is of who we are. Last time we looked at the two verses telling us what God wants us to do individually. But now, from verses 3 to onwards really... The Word of God will tell us, so what am I supposed to do in connection with people around me, like me, saved, filled with the Spirit, whose hearts were changed? What does God want us to do together? So, let's look at verses 3 to 8 together. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service, in our serving, the one who teaches, in his teaching, the one who exhorts, in his exhortation, the one who contributes, in generosity, the one who leads, with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we do understand that this is your word, and we pray that you may open it for us, yes. that you will speak to each one of our hearts. We do pray that you may not harden our hearts, but rather open them to the glory of the scripture, help us to not only know the truth, but to understand the truth and to live the way you want us to live, to the glory of Christ Jesus. So Lord, give me wisdom, give me the Holy Spirit, to be able to teach and to exhort today to my own heart and to the hearts of those who will listen for you, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 
So the church itself, we're talking about being the local church and how do I fit in it, really? Church, what is the church made of? Maybe that's a good question uh, to start with. What is the church made of? It's people. And are all people alike? Nope. We have different characters, you've got different nationalities, you've got different languages that can be found often in the same churches. You have different habits, you have a different history and experiences that people have. And yet, what joins them together? What glues this diverse group of people together into a church? The Lord Jesus? Yes. Oh, yes, Joshi. Sorry? Jesus Christ. Well done, Joshi. The love of God in Christ Jesus. This is the love that is the glue that brings people from all different backgrounds together to work as one body, really. This is what he's describing in the scripture. And, in, and, you know, I was just... I discovered something new in my car, and I just wanted to ask children, what is a car? Yeah, team with four wheels. <laughs> yep, team with four wheels. Our car just made out of one block of metal or something. No, really. What is it made of? Yes, Elsa? It has all sorts of nuts, nails, pistons, yeah. like um, windows, like seats inside, and buttons. Yeah, doors and buttons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Did you want to say something as well? Oh no. Okay. Yes. Yes. What else? Wheels. And are those parts important for the car? What will happen to a car that doesn't have an engine? He's not going to move. What about a car that doesn't have wheels? It's not going to be nice, isn't it? What will happen with a car that doesn't have seats? Uh, you will have to stand up in order to reach the steering wheel. Yeah, it's not going to be comfy. So you see, what about if there were no mirrors and windows in the car? Uh, the wind would just blow in. Yeah, at uh, the winter. How would you feel driving a car in the winter with no windows? Freezing! No, thank you. What about air conditioning for the summer? Is that good? Ah, yeah. oh, it's good to have in the car. Oh, yes. So you see, I've uh, I, I discovered that car is made of thousands of different parts, little screws and, and buttons that we don't even often recognize that are there. And it happened to me this morning. I usually sit in my car, low in my seat and so on, and just, and just drive my car. And it's sometimes a bit uncomfortable. And today this morning, I just thought, oh, there's a little switch, and I actually find out that my seat does move up. <laughs> I had it for four years, and I didn't know that. <laughs> you see, uh, <laughs> uh, car, in order to be car, needs to be made of thousands of components. And the same is with the church. For the church to be church, and a properly working church, we need people that are coming in and actually doing their part and their work. So I find a quote from Stuart Oriot quite interesting. He says, 
the first thing that a New Testament Christian did was really not to learn to have a private quiet time for mm -hmm. personal prayer and Bible study, though this is an excellent habit and should not be discouraged for a moment, his first action was to be baptized and then to join the church. <coughs> you read the book of Acts and it's exactly the same pattern. That people repent, they believe, they are baptized nearly on the spot, and then as soon as that happened, they were added to the church, to the local church, whether it was in Jerusalem, Philippi, Thessalonica, you name it. You go through the book of Acts, and this is actually what was happening. There was, there was no such thing in a scripture as a believer that doesn't belong to some church. There, now, understand me this one thing. There is a church universal. So we may say every born-again believer belongs to the universal church of Christ. There is a universal body of Christ that, that exists. But also, God has given us local churches to be part of and being a meaningful part of. To use our lives to the glory of God. To fulfill the gaps that are in those churches. To use our skills, abilities and giftedness received from God to be expressed in the church. Mm -hmm. So friends, if the, imagine a church in which everybody is busy serving the Lord in the way that the Lord called them mm -hmm. to. How would you envision that church to be? Incredibly amazing, joyful place where people think of each other, they are mindful of one another, where all the things are filled up, all the spaces, if there are any lacking ministries, people are actually creating them or volunteering to them. And this is actually what God wants from us. This is the ideal church that we can have in our minds and we should aspire to be people like this. So, let's see how do we fit in with our gifts in a local church. So, Paul starts really with our attitude. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So you see, let's get this right. The moment you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit gave you a set of gifts to be used in a local church. And... This is simple, basic, foundational, foundational truth that is also found in 1 Peter 4, chapter 4, verse 8. It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So, if you are a born-again believer, you've got a set of gifts from God. It's impossible you don't have any. And there is a ministry, there is a calling that is very unique to you to fulfill. And your life should be about finding your giftedness, finding your calling, and use it for God's glory. That's as simple as that. But there are two dangers that come with this knowledge. You have been gifted by God. You have received a set of gifts. And there may be a bit of an attitude problem. 
So notice what does Paul tells us first to not to do in verse 3. Do not do what? Think too high about yourself. Uh, do not view, do not view, have a high view of yourself to be a proud and self-absorbed person. Actually, in a Greek language, it's a hyper-pride. Something that is not just any type of human pride, but hyper-proud. A person who is so self-obsessed that they cannot just stop thinking about themselves. It's all about me. All of those gifts, all of those ministerial things that God has given, it, given to me, it's about me, so that people may behold and glorify me. Now tell me, have you ever been around a self-obsessed person? Hmm. Selfie, self-obsessed. Is it easy to sit next to people like this? I'm not saying you do it now, but... Is it easy to be in a company of people who just talk about themselves? It's all about them. They are the only people that have problems. Nobody else got problems. And you must hear it. And you must hear it. And you must give time to them because they are the center of the universe. And it's all about them. Sadly, a lot of people who have received gifts from God may be tempted to do that. So, for example, for me as a minister... Somebody who is speaking, it will, be, it will be very tempting to say, oh, job well done, I've done really well today. And just, to, and, and just to receive from people applauses. And if that gets into my heart, pride can develop. And I can forget that actually, this has been given from God to me to serve you. It's not for my glory, it's for the glory of God. And the same can happen with any gift. If somebody got the gift of serving, for example, they serve coffees and teas, they can do it quietly with love for one another, or they can do it for a show to show how good and amazing they are. It's all about the attitude of the heart. You see, it's the same action. And the action is good, but if the attitude is wrong, it becomes evil and sin. So... Too high view of ourselves, spiritual pride is something that God wants us to keep us from. And do you want to receive a cure for pride today? If you go to Romans chapter 5 verse 8, there is one place together with Ephesians 2, Ephesians 1, 1 Peter 1, that I find to be the cure for pride. And that's this. Romans 5, verse 8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still perfect, incredible, amazing. No. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10. For if while we were enemies were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now we are reconciled, that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life? What's the cure for pride? Mm-hmm. Remembering who you are. Oh, yes, Elsa. Yes. 
Yes, but you see, I have to remember this one thing. Without Christ, I'm a bad, naughty person too. If, if my salvation would be in my hand, in this time, at this moment, even for a moment, I would lose it. Like John MacArthur says, if, if, uh, if there was a chance that there is any part of salvation that belongs to me, so that I can lose it, he says, I will lose it. If there is one commandment that I have to keep in order to be saved, and it depends upon me and my actions, be sure of that, you will break it, you and I. Everything is either of God or of us. So that reminds you something. I brought into salvation nothing but my sins that God overcame and paid for. And if you are in Christ today, God wants you to be used with this knowledge. He loved you so much, even though there are still so many evil things with us. The Word of God continues to open and expose our hearts continually. So it destroys our pride. Then, something beautiful happens. A person falls to their knees, acknowledges that they are sinners, and they do all their service because of their love of Christ. So this is danger number one. Too high view of yourself. But there is a danger number two. And that can be also possible. Too low view of yourself. Mm -hmm. You see, there are people in the churches that will genuinely tell you, I'm good for nothing. I don't have any gifts. I don't see any way that God can use somebody like me. And, and they will mean that. It wouldn't be something that's a pride issue, but also pride can manifest in this way to draw the attention from the crowd so they will become a pity party on a person. And some people love to receive that. But a person will be genuine and say, I don't really see how God can use me. Well, looking at this passage, remember this. Each one has received a gift from God. And is God able to use people with huge flaws for His glory. You may view yourself and yourself with so many flaws, so many struggles, so many sins still fighting with, and yet you look at the lives of Moses, for example. God used him powerfully, and yet Moses was so reluctant. He, of, he, he starts as a proud man, proud, proud person brought in the court of Pharaoh for 40 years. It took another 40 years for God in a desert to change him into a humble man. And then at the age of 80, God used him. Are you old? You have a gray hair? God can still use you. Your age is no problem for God. Think about this. What about Samson? You can find almost any... I would struggle to tell you anything good about Samson except for this one thing. He trusted God. And yet God used him. You go through the book of Judges, you see flows, incredible flows in the people. And yet God used them powerfully. A look at the apostles. How many different characters? Peter with his hot-headed attitudes. He must have been from, 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 from south of the United States somewhere. You know, hot-headed person. And yet God used him. You see, your difficulties, your struggles are no problem to God. God can use a person like you, and He gifted you for His glory. So you are gifted too. 
And one, one thing about this that you may think, well, what can I do? I don't have a gift of preaching. I don't have a gift of evangelism. I don't have a gift to be, to be a deacon or something like this, something, or a counter. Do you like serve coffees to people? Do you like cleaning? Do you like gardening? Are you good with helping somebody, giving a lift? Are you able to recognize when somebody is sorrowful and sad and come along and help and support? You have a gift from God. The gifts are not those big, often spectacular things that are visible. Many of the gifts are given in the simple ways of life. Sending somebody a message of encouragement with the, with the word of God. To, to notice that somebody needs a lift. Those things matter. Those are gifts. And who knows how God can use you with this type of heart. So take heart, believer. You are gifted by God. So we all have gifts and we all struggle in our attitudes. But there is one thing that we also have in common. Look at verse 4. We all belong to one body, even though we are so different. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So, whew, what is Paul telling us in this passage? What is our identity really? It's not individualistic anymore. The moment you became a believer, you are part of his people. You are part of the people of God. And that should be expressed in belonging to the local body of the people. This is where your gift should be expressed. This is where you should fit in as well with your character and gifts. You know, human body is a phenomenal creation of God. Like we talked about a car made of thousands of parts. Do you know how many parts human body is made of? Depends what level you are looking for. If you are looking simply for the limbs and eyes and, and ears and nose and mouth and fingers, you can probably sh shut it all within, a, within a, I don't know, 60, 70 parts. But when you go under a microscope, you're actually going to find out that there are trillions and trillions of <coughs> cells within our bodies each working together, each having a different function, each cooperating with each other so that the author that stands before is a result of God's engineering, really, made of trillions and trillions and trillions of parts. So one thing I want to tell you, you are wonderfully made, but you are made up of many parts. And the same is with the church. What Paul is telling us here is, Notice this one thing. Can body parts exist on their own? The hand all of a sudden decides, you know what, I don't like the rest of the body. I'm just going to go on my own. Or just say, you know what, I'm just going to come once on Sunday to join the body. Is that how body, human body works? It's not going to survive, doesn't it? Hand needs all the strength and juices and energy that comes from the rest of the body. But... Can body function without a hand? <laughs> to a degree, yes, but it's poorer. It cannot do certain things because the hand is gone. The same is with eyes, the same is with lips, the same is with ears, with hearing, the same is with the heart, the same is with 
other parts of the body. We need to humbly understand this that Christians are not John Wayne's of the world. We're not the lonely rangers that just peek up to sort out the town with the two guns or something. We are part of God's people. We are part and we need each other. And this is humbleness. You know, Paul, when he was going on his missionary journeys, he was not going on his own. There was always a team of people and a support of the church that was standing behind him so that the ministry could continue. He was an extension of the body doing this work, but he needed other people and he needed the churches to help him. And the same is with you. On your own, you will not survive. Spiritually, you will not develop. You will not grow as a disciple. Uh, without others to help you and uphold you, you're not going to survive. Because that's how God built the church, so that we are interdependent on each other, each and every single one of us. Now, you may be a person who came here today and you just appear once a month, twice a month to the church. You know that many of your struggles and your problems come from not being part of the church. And that is so true. We ought to be committed to the church. Or maybe let me put it in different ways, in different contexts. We are living in a, in a culture that can be explained as consumerism mm -hmm. culture. Commercial, consume. Uh, where people go, actually, to shop to get what they want. And if they find something cheaper somewhere else, they go there. The same happens with petrol now. And I will not blame you for that. I'm doing it, for sure. But people do the same with churches. I cannot count with Kevin how many people came to us and says, what will your church do for me? When they come and enter, do you have this ministry? Do you have that ministry? Do you have this and this and that? And uh, that tells you something that the person's attitude is completely off. This is not a question about what the church can give to you. It's a question about how do you going to fit in so that you can give yourself to the work of the body of Christ here locally. It's not a question of what we can do to you. It's a question of what you can do for others. That's love. Expressed. Being part of the church means that you are thinking seriously about Christ because you are showing your love for your brothers and sisters. You come in. You want to fill the gaps. You see that there is a ministry that is lacking and you say... Well, maybe God gave you that vision. Mm -hmm. And maybe you are the person to fill this up. Yeah. You see that there is a poor coffee service. And, and he says, oh, actually, I can improve that. And you will do it with a smile. And people will love that. And who knows how many good things God will do through that. You see, we, as God's people, are led by God's love. And that love demands from us to give ourselves for others. So, being part of the church, we are made up of many individuals, we have the same identity and belonging, we cannot function on our own, and yet we need each other to properly function as God's people. Another way to describe the church is coming from Philippians chapter 3, when Paul is using this word for symphony, spiritually tuned. Mm -hmm. How many of you have ever went to, to, to hear a concert with, with, huge, with many instruments, like an orchestra or symphony? 
Come on, don't be shy. The more the instruments tuned together, the more they know their parts, the more amazing the spectacle when they, when they all follow in one direction, to one tune, to one music. And it's incredible. Sometimes when you are actually sitting there and you feel the drums, you feel the trumpets, your whole body is almost shaking because it's so amazing performance. And friends, the church should be the same. Each and every individual should give ourselves and play the part played to the tune of God's love. That's what we ought to do together. So, use your gifts. Verse 6, very quickly. Use your gifts for the Lord. Join the local church. So, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Question. How many spiritual gifts are available? You know that this is just one of the lists and we've got lists presented to us also in 1 Corinthians 7, 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. And there are other places in the Bible when different varied gifts are given. Some of them repeated, some added. And that tells you something. That the list of gifts and ministries is open. It's wide open before God. And God supplies people with different gifts for one another. So, but there are essentially two kinds of spiritual gifts. Spoken and practical services. God never gives impractical gifts that you should hide and show to nobody. God gives either speaking gifts or in service, practical service to one another. So which one is the first one mentioned? Prophecy. Oh, we're Baptists. We don't believe in that, don't we? <laughs> Just kidding, of course. Of course we do. But the prophecy got this very specific place because we do understand this one thing. The Bible is closed. The Word has been written. And it's been, and this is the Word of God. But that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit cannot bring the Word of God and make it alive for us today and apply it to our lives, to our lives today. How many of you have been going through difficulty in life and out of the blue somebody sends you a message with Bible passages fit your situation like a glove and all of a sudden you know what to do? That's also a gift of prophecy to a certain extent. When I'm preaching and teaching or when Kevin does that, how come that all of a sudden you wake up in the middle of the preaching, sorry for doing that, and, and then all of a sudden you keep, is he talking about me? This is exactly what happened. This is what my heart's been struggling with. And all of a sudden, you receive an answer from the Lord to your problem. Prophecy. I do believe that there is something supernatural happen whenever God's word is open. So God gives certain people an ability to do that. Service. That simply means being a servant to another. There are people who have this incredible serving spirit. They see a need, 
and they just don't close their eyes, they do it. <laughs> this is just, this is just, a, somebody's in trouble, I'm going to help them. Oh, your, your door is, is not working properly, let me help you, let me just bring the tools over. Oh, the church needs cleaning, I, I'm going to do it, don't worry about this, don't worry, I'm going to do that. You need a shopping, you, somebody's old, cannot carry their shop. can I help you with that? Do you see serving spirits, putting yourself in a place in which you are actually thinking of others and are using your time and energy, effort, and even finances to help another person? That also comes from love based there in the heart. Teaching. So teaching is more to do with giving you information. So this is to the part what I do. I'm giving you information. This is what the Bible says. And, and this is all right to a degree, because I want you to know the word, I want you to understand the word, but you need something else. And that's another word, exhorts. Mm -hmm. This is the person who actually tells you, let's do it. Let's go for it. This is the theory, but we have to go. We have to do it. And you need both of that, because if you only got a theory in the church, but no, nobody says, let's go and do it, then we're just couch potatoes. <laughs> Just nothing happens. We are frozen, chosen. It just, it just nothing happens. No evangelism, no love, no, no, no nothing. But you can also have an exhortress in a church who tells you, ah, oh, let's go and do this, let's go and evangelize, let's go and do that. And then people are fired up and they go and they say, so what are we to do? And he says, I don't know. <laughs> you need both. You really need both. Teaching and exhorting. Giving. So there are certain people who have an amazing gift of giving and generosity to others. They see a need, they give. Mm -hmm. they, they don't ask questions. They even don't show often their names. They will secretly just pass it through the door or something else. True. There are people whom God moves in this incredible way to be generous givers and often they just keep it between them and God. What have happened? It's incredible. Maybe you are this person. We don't know. You know before the Lord. A gift of leadership. It's a person who sets a vision and goals. So it's the person who leads. Doesn't just tell people what to do. He's actually leaders, actually going ahead and prepare the way and show examples. They say, this is what needs to be done. This is the vision. This is how we are going to do it. And I'm going to put up myself, put the gloves and start doing the work. Follow me. Leaders who are not afraid to make their hands dirty. That's leadership. Let them do it with zeal. Mm -hmm. And lastly, acts of mercy. Compassionate people. People who are able to empathize with another. Do you see, um, if you see a need around us, let's say homelessness, and the church does nothing about this, there's something wrong with the church. Or with the people in the church. How come they don't feel compassion and zeal for the people around us? You see people struggling and the church does nothing. You need a person who has a compassionate heart to actually raise the issue and say to the church, Listen, there is something our town, city, village is really struggling with. Can we do something about this? This is this gift of mercy and compassion. Or there is a person, an older gentleman who is living on his own. His house is in ruin. He needs help. Can we do something about this? Do you see? 
There is a person who is able to empathize and see the needs of others. We need that as a, as a church as well. There is somebody hungry. I will prepare something for that person. But then comes to the church and says, the burden for me alone is too big. Can we actually share the responsibility with each other? Love showing action. So I want to finish with this one question to you. And me. Because when I talk to you, the word of God cuts me as well. I'm not, I'm not free from its, from, from its power. How would this church look like if everyone was exactly like you? <laughs> How would this church look like if everyone was exactly like you? <laughs> yeah. Think about commitment to gather. Are you the person who is there all the time at the church, whenever we gather, making an effort, it's difficult, we know, but he's there, wants to meet, wants to be there. Are you the person who just comes once in a, you're a CEO Christian, <laughs> Christmas, Easter only. How would this church look like if it was like you? What about, what about service, giving yourself, giving yourself to others? How would this church look like if everybody acted as you do? What about giving and your gifts? Would the coffers of the church be empty and unsupported, or would they be overflowing with your generosity? Think about that, because that is something that we have to ponder. What about zeal for Christ and the church? What, what about that? Are you praying for the church? Are you praying for God's glory to be known? Are you trying to reach out people with the gospel? Are you trying to motivate others? Are you trying to have a meaningful relationship with other people from the church in the middle of the week? What would this church look like if everybody was like you? What about personal prayer and study of God's word? How does that look like in your life? What if everybody did as you do? So... Friends, but Paul encourages us. All those who are in Christ Jesus are part of his body. And his will is for us to join his church locally. To be members of one another. To use our specific gifts that he has given us for his name, for his glory, because of his mercies. Let's use them. Like Paul says, let us encourage one another. Let us use that for his glory. Because there is a service and ministry God has for each one of you. May God be praised. Amen. 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 We're going to sing our